Amen. Thank you, Will. And uh, would you guys just uh, join me in thanking Justin for leading us in worship today? You know, it's incredible what God has gifted the people in this congregation with. Justin's, uh, he, he doesn't work at the church. Uh, Brad took some vacation this week, which is awesome. And Brad, like, you're a better Christian than I am. Um, I don't go to church when I'm on vacation. So I think it's impressive that, that you and Mary have had some time to yourselves. And, and so, no, really glad that you guys are here. It's amazing for Brad and I and the rest of our team to have people within our church that we can trust. In the early days, I can remember we would, you know, have to fly people out, whether it be musicians or pastors, speakers. And not that that's a bad thing to do. We'll do that as we think there's great opportunity, that there's a voice that you need to hear from in whatever capacity. But it's incredible to me that within our church, these people are rising up. God has gifted them. And so for Brad not to have to, you know, fly someone in from LA or Nashville, but to say, hey, to a guy who's in our band and in our church, works in tech right here in the neighborhood, uh, if we've got to say, hey, if we're about to say, hey, would, why, don't, why don't you fill in and lead this day? And, and to be able to do so with complete confidence, I know that's true for me whenever Will's speaking or, or whoever is up here on this platform. Um, and, and what I want to say is, like, before I get into the message, is I, I'm pumped about this season coming up in the life of our church. And I'm just committed. I tell you, I, I've been reading a, a business book actually called Predictable Success. And, and I just tell you, so that you kind of know what my framework is a little bit right now in this season. And it, and it talks about how companies and organizations go kind of like through these stages. Like they get started with this entrepreneurial spirit and they enter the stage of fun. And then anyway, if you're a business leader and you feel like your organization or team is stuck, it's a great business book. But, um, you know, there, I've gone through a little bit of sadness. I don't know if I would call it depression, but um, there's a little bit of me that regrets the fact that we're no longer the new startup church. Like we're just this boring establish church and i'm just a boring established pastor and what is going on i'm not being too truthful with you right now um but here's what i want to say to you someone told me when we started the church hey ben when you guys start this church make sure it stays a movement and it never becomes a monument and that's my hope and so i just want to tell you a few things i believe i want to tell you how you can get involved as we head into this season here's what i believe i believe that god is committed to doing some great things in our midst headed into this season and you're like ben did you like go off to the mountain and god said this to you no i believe that this is what god's always about I, i never think that god's the variable in terms of what he wants to do Anybody else, you're like, man, I wanted to see God do some great things, but he just wasn't on board with it. God's on board. He's got a plan. He's got a thing. He's got a will. He's got a purpose. He wants to do great things in our midst, and I believe that he's going to do great things, and I hope that you'll lean in in this season with me and the rest of our team and leaders here and believe that God's going to do great things. But here's another part to that belief. What I see in the pages of the scriptures, what I see when I look back at church history, what I see over just the last five years in epic short history is that when God wants to do a thing, he's using his people to do the things he wants to do. And so the question really isn't, is God committed to it? It's like, well, we play our part. And what I want to do today in an impassioned plea kind of way is ask you to make a fresh commitment in this season, if you're part of this church, to play your part. The cool thing for God is that he's using women and men. He's using the young and the old and thankfully everyone in between. He's, he, he's using everything from the homeless individual to the CEO of a large corporation. He is, he's using those of us who have been following Jesus a long time and those of us who have just started in the last few days or weeks. He's willing to use anyone. None of those are the determinant. None of those are the determining factors when it comes to who God is willing to use. You know who, who, who he wants to use? You know what the kind of person is that he wants to use? The one in the room who will say, I'm available. 
God, I don't know what I have to offer. I'm not as smart as this person. I'm not as gifted as that person, but I'm available. And what I want to call for in this moment before we get to the end of the service, the end of the messages, hey, if you're not joining, if you have never joined a serving team in our midst here at Epic, I want to ask you to make your availability to God and to us known, just in case you tell God and he doesn't tell us, okay? And so there was a sheet in your chair when you came in. It's about the opportunities to join a serving team. And I would love for you, if you haven't looked that over, look that over. But go ahead, get your communication card out. This is one way for you to say in this moment, I'm available. All kind of teams on there. And you're like, Ben, what if, what does available mean? Do I have to be here every Sunday? No, thankfully not even I have to be here every Sunday, which is good because in San Francisco, no one comes. Like you guys just, you just have fabulous lives. You're on business trips to Shanghai. You know, you guys talk about going to China. Like there's a bridge between San Francisco and China. Um, and then others of you, you know, because, you, because your, your, your company has paid for you to fly around the world all year, you get to fly to Hawaii for free. Like, you know, it's like you love the company paying for it. You're glad they don't keep the miles. You get the miles. And so we have people who love to, and the rest of us are a little bit bitter because we, we don't um, get away as much as we want to. Um, what, what availability means, just saying, hey, I'm willing to be used. When I'm in town, I'm willing to serve. And know that our church is committed to serving you. So it's not you going, oh, I'm, just, I'm never going to be served again. I'm just going to be the servant. No, you're just jump in. We're going to serve you. The church even serves me in my role. And I want to say to you, get on board. If you want to see God do something great, would you be willing to say I'm available? And, and just so you know, like, you, 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 like, Ben, what if I don't have that many gifts? Listen, there's, there's a gift that you do have. And, it, and, and if you think you have certain gifts, uh, we'll tell you if you don't. Um, we're, gonna, we're not going to be, you know, it's funny. My seven-year-old, I wasn't going to tell this, but he came up to me yesterday and he said, Dad, do you, think I'm, do you think I can join the band? And I talked to my kids based on whether or not they're being funny or serious. So like, I was like, well, are you interested? He said, yes. I said, well, Asher, thankfully, uh, I don't make those kind of decisions. Mr. Brad makes those kind of decisions. He's like, okay, well, I'm going to talk to him tomorrow. I was like, okay, but you just like, you need to know if you really want to join it. You, you know, like maybe you should set a goal to join it when you're 10. And from now to 10, you're going to start learning an instrument. And so, um, even if you're the pastor's son, you don't get a free pass when it comes to musicians. Okay. Uh, but there's something for you to do. And to the degree that you're willing to say, Hey God, I'm available. It's amazing what God does. The, 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 the beautiful stories of scripture, we don't love them because everyone had what it took and could see God automatically do amazing things. We love them because people said, Hey, I might be eight years old, but if you want me to be the next king, God, okay. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she was a pregnant virgin and she's like, God, this is crazy to me, but may it be to me as you have said, if this is what you want to do with me, do it. Moses is on the back, uh, back side of the mountain tending to sheep, has no real ambition in life, has no plan, never thinks he'll be anything. And God taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, I want you to lead my people. If you'll just make yourself available, it's crazy what God will do. So are you available? And again, we pursue that with humility, not with pride right? We want to be used by God. It's not like we're simply doing God a favor. He's doing us a favor by letting us in on what he's doing. And some of you have never been in on what God's doing on the inside, and others of you haven't been in on a long time. And I just want to say, hey, here's your chance. Here's your chance. Jump in. 
We did start the Rooted series last week, as Will mentioned just a moment ago. I'm excited about the series. The genesis of the series was two years ago. I was seeing our church grow in all kinds of ways. I was seeing God do a number of things in people's lives, but it wasn't happening in everyone's lives. In fact, the, the staff, we would talk, and, and as many as uh, celebration stories as we had, we had that many kind of like negative stories about what was happening in people's lives, at their work, um, in their character, with their habits and addictions. And so we were just like, how is this happening? Like, we're all hearing the same thing. We all go to the same kinds of small groups. We're all doing the same kind of serving, but some of the growth is happening in certain people's lives and other people attend week after week, month after month, year after year, and there's really no growth in their lives. God, what's going on? And then I reread this parable from Mark chapter four. So if you have a Bible, you can turn Mark chapter four. If you need one, just raise your hand and we'll get you a copy of your own scripture just so you can have. This is a small gift from us to you. Just keep their hands up if you want a copy of this. Mark chapter 4, and, and again, just to make it easy for you, this is where we will launch out from every single Sunday through the month of August. In Mark 4, Jesus tells a parable about how our good intentions when it comes to our faith can become our reality. And, and if it doesn't become our reality, then he tells us why. And there are four responses in the parable and four different kinds of explanations that, that Jesus gives. And, and what I want us to understand for today is this, that a lot of us approach our faith life like we're a football team practicing. You know, football teams need to practice. They have a strategy for what they're trying to work on. But I'm amazed. Anybody ready for football season, by the way? Yeah, I'm just, just reminded, like, you know, um, just... Yeah, I, I know, yeah, there's some of you that we won't see until, you know, after football season ends, but um, the church will still be here. Uh, when your team ends, some of you are from the East Coast, your team plays early, um, you know, get to the 930, whatever, whatever the case is that you need to be. But, but we, we, many of us think of our faith life in terms of strategy, like uh, a football team that's practicing. A football team practices, and I'm amazed that they have these kind of reports from the media coming from the practice. Hey, we had a great practice today. You know, I'm thinking I would have a great practice too. I could score a touchdown if there was no defense. Like, who cares that you had a great practice today? Now, practice is important, but we think of our faith life like, hey, we have God. He's got a strategy and whether or not we get on board with his strategy that determines whether or not we win but i think our faith life is more like a football game we have a strategy but there's a an opponent an enemy who's trying to keep us from succeeding but many of us act like god has a plan and we have to decide if we'll get on board with it and what i just want to say clearly today is that there's more than one plan for your life and you are adhering to you're submitting to you're in the flow of one of the plans or the other one okay and and the big idea for today is that jesus in this parable tells us what his plan is for us regarding um, our faith and our life but he also thankfully lets us know what the enemy's plan is regarding our faith and life and so if you'll stand with me mark chapter 4 we gave the big overview last week, so you can go back and catch the, that message, the, read the whole parable in its entirety. And remember the parable, what I want to do is look at chapter 4, verse 4, and then verse 15. F- verse 4 is the, the first incident in the parable, and verse 15 is Jesus explaining it. And so Jesus gives this big parable to a large crowd, but then he takes his 12 disciples aside, and he explains to them what it means that he just told them. So in verse 4 is this example. Remember, a sower, a farmer, goes out to sow seed. Verse 4. And as he sowed, the farmer in the parable, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Okay, before we get to the explanation, let's just look at the parable on the surface. So this farmer is sowing seed, and in this first response, what happens is the seed never gets into the ground. The bird comes, snatches it up, and so the seed has no chance, no opportunity to fulfill its potential, to to actually do what the farmer wanted it to do in this first instance. Verse 15 is the explanation from Jesus. Jesus says, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. So the word of God is the seed. 
When they hear Satan, who's the bird in the parable, if that makes sense, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And so God's trying to get his word into us. Satan's coming and snatching it immediately. And so it never takes root in our lives. Mark isn't the only gospel writer who shares this teaching from Jesus. In fact, all of the gospel writers share this teaching with the exception of John. Matthew does so in chapter 13 of Matthew and Luke does so in chapter 8 of Luke. Let me give you one verse before we sit down. In Luke 8 verse 12, Luke says the same thing, but he asks, Add something that Mark left out. Verse 12, Luke says Jesus, or he recalls Jesus saying this, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. Same as Mark. But then he gives us something that's even a little more alarming. He says, takes it from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And so you're like, how big of a deal is this, Ben? It's, it's like, this isn't just an, an off idea. I'm going to try to show you today how this is a massive idea for my life and for your life. It has been true from the very beginning. It was true for Jesus's life. And we would be crazy to think that Satan doesn't have the same tactics employed when it comes to our life. There's a lot at stake here. So much so that Luke recalls Jesus saying, hey, if he takes it from your heart, it will keep you from ever being a follower of Christ and having a reconciled relationship to God. A big deal. You can have a seat. What I want to do today, and I've never, I told Will, I think, this morning, this is the first time probably I've exclusively, certainly at Epic and, and uh, maybe in my, my teaching career, uh, taught exclusively on Satan. But it, it's just such a huge idea that Jesus gives us in this. And so what I want to do is show you two prominent places, um, how, how Satan has done this in the scriptures, and then let us know that he's doing that or trying to do that to us, and then give us some hope as, as, as we leave the idea about his strategy. So in the very beginning of time, God begins to create. In the beginning, Genesis 1-1, God creates, and he begins creating all kinds of things. And as he creates those things, he says that those things are good. And the crowning achievement of his creation is when he makes mankind. And Genesis 1.27 tells us that he makes mankind in his own image. This is why we value life so much, because human beings are created in the image of God. And no matter what um, your past is, no matter who's told you, whatever they might have told you, you were created, I was created in the image of God, which means we are image bearers or image reflectors of God. Even if our lives aren't lining up with everything he wants for him, we are still reflecting in some way, naturally at least, the image image and supernaturally the image of God in our lives. And so in the beginning, he creates Adam and from Adam, he creates Eve. And this is going on in the first two chapters of Genesis and things are really good. God creates them. Um, he tells them, Hey, you guys can eat from any tree except for this one tree. But of course, right? It's like somebody saying, Hey, don't look at that. Right. You ever been with a friend? You know, like I'm hanging out with guy friends and you know, something's going on and they're like, Hey Ben, don't look there. Um, I wasn't, but now I have to, you know what I mean? Um, so, so there's one thing off limits. There's tons of freedom, but there are some boundaries. And if you're a parent or if you've ever supervised anyone, you know, without boundaries, we all are messed up and we live in a completely more messed up world than maybe you even surmise that we live in, right? There have to be boundaries. So, so God gives lots of freedom, but he does give some boundaries like, Hey, that one is off limits. Stay within this lane. You can eat from all of these and things are great. There is a perfect and harmonious relationship between Adam and Eve and God and between Adam and Eve and each other. Things are going great. And here's what's happening early on with Adam and Eve. They believe in the goodness of God and they trust the voice of God. Really important. They believe in the goodness of God and they trust 
the voice of God. But when you get to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, that's the only verse I want to read. This is what's known in theological terms as the fall. This is where it all goes bad for humanity, which includes you and I. So right off the bat, so you're like, Ben, how big of a deal is this thing from the parable Jesus is teaching about Satan? Here's how big of a deal it is. It is the root cause of how we went wrong in the first place. Like it's, it's just, just as I began discovering this, I'm like, wow, this is where it all went wrong. It's not Jesus saying, hey, here's just one of the thousand things you need to know. He's like, hey, this is actually what has happened from the very beginning of time. So here's Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, now the serpent, that's Satan in this story. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Satan said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And it's this one question, it's this one stab to get Adam and Eve to quit trusting in the voice of God that would allow them to go off the path and live for something other than what God had for them. But here's what's interesting. As they go off the path, you know what they're thinking because we've all thought it when we've gone off the path. They are thinking they are finally going to find true freedom. Right? They've had a lot of freedom. But there's been one thing that's off limits, and Satan's trying to tempt them so that they have in their minds now, there's nothing off limits. We are about to enjoy true freedom. But in the moment they think that they are starting to enjoy true freedom, they actually lose true freedom. And some of us are living lives like that. You thought a pursuit away from God's best for you, from his word for you, would bring you true freedom. And you actually walked away from true freedom. And rather than finding true freedom, what you have found, what I have found at times, is in slavery. Like we've been enslaved. And this is what's going on. He, he, Satan's aim for, for Adam and Eve is to get them to quit believing in God's goodness and to quit trusting his voice. That's his aim. So he starts off with what? Did, did, did God actually say? Did God actually say? Some of us are living under this question ourselves. We may not know where it came from, but in order to justify our actions, decisions, behaviors, addictions, whatever, we find ourselves saying, I, I know what I heard at church that one time. I know I even read that. I even led a Bible study on that. But did God really say? So when it comes to our sexual ethic and practice, did, did God really say? I mean, that's, that's sort of old-fashioned. Did, did God really say? But, but, but Ben, in our culture, did God, like I have these conversations every week. Did God really say? Some of you are like, man, God, I'm in my 40s. Did you really mean now every week and the problem is you can find anything on the internet and you can go probably find a church in any city in the usa for sure that will tell you no god really didn't say that and what we do is we figure out a way to justify it we begin to question and the, the, the scariest part of all i think is when we convince ourselves that we're living out god's best when we're actually doing the opposite of that so you read something about being generous but you think of how greedy you are and what you could do with that money. Did God really say? Certainly not. And we do this when it comes to character issues, and we do it when it comes to loving our neighbor, and we do it when it comes to laying down our lives for our spouse. Did God really say? And so what Satan does for Adam and Eve and what he wants to do in your... And by the way, if you don't think this strategy is still being employed in my life and your life, you're crazy. Crazy. Did God really say... And so we try to find a church, or we try to find a philosopher, or we try to find scientific data, or we try to find a pastor who will say, no, it's really okay. 
did God really say? He gets them to quit trusting the voice of God. They think they find true freedom when in reality they lose true freedom. You and I, some of us are in that place. We think we are finding on the pathway to freedom. And the reality is because we tend to think like, oh, God has commands. He has restrictions. He has boundaries. And so if I can get outside of that, then there's freedom. And the reality is we leave those boundaries and we don't find freedom. We lose freedom. Really important lesson. If I could drill it into our hearts, I would ask God to give us that power today. Satan knows from the parable, Jesus says that if... If he takes, remember the seed, it could never become fruit or grain in this parable. It could never become it because the bird took it. And Satan knows, just as Jesus knows, that if Satan takes the word of God out of our hearts and it never gets rooted in us, then not only do we not understand the voice of God, we can't fulfill the mission of God. Let me show you something from Matthew chapter 4, if you have your Bibles open, just one chapter or one, one book before Mark. I want to show you an instance with Jesus, just like we did with Adam and Eve, how you can see this is Satan's strategy. Like, this is what he's after, and this is how he tries to accomplish what he's after. I mean, what's a little bit mind-blowing is that he has the audacity to go after Jesus. Like, I'm sort of weak. He should come after me, right? And, oh, he does. Um, but, but why would you, if you're Satan, why would you go after Jesus? Because if he could derail Jesus from fulfilling his mission, he wins. If he, on a little bit lesser scale, but still a very significant one, if he can derail you and I from our mission, if he can derail our church off of our mission, guess what? To some degree, he wins. Jesus in Matthew chapter 3 gets baptized by John the Baptist. And this baptism is always a super special moment. You can imagine it's Jesus is baptized, big deal. If, if that's your next moment in your faith, two weeks from today, our next round of baptisms will happen. We'd love to, to help you out. You can email Will or just talk to one of our staff members uh, after the service, put it on your card, whatever the case may be. So Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water and it says that the Spirit of God in some way descends upon Jesus like a dove. And then the heavens open up and there's this like booming voice from heaven saying this, this is my beloved son with him. I am well pleased. Jesus hadn't done anything yet. And it's significant before I tell you what Satan tries to do with Jesus It's significant. I think that the last thing it records before Satan coming after Jesus is him being rooted in the literal voice of his father. Some of you are living a confused identity when it comes to your relationship with God because you're, you're, you've stopped trusting the voice. Here's what happens in Matthew 4, 1 through 10. So baptisms happen. He's heard the voice of his father. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Some of you are like, Ben, I had breakfast and I'm already hungry. And the tempter, verse 3, came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Huge mission statement for our lives right there. Fits well with the Rooted series. Verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are, like if you're really the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him, Jesus, to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And the devil said to Jesus, all these I will give you, there's a small price to pay here, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So, if this was Satan's strategy with Adam and Eve, if this was his strategy with Jesus, 
Do you think he's developed a new strategy for us? No, why? Because this works really well when we're not rooted. It works really well to keep us from being rooted. So Jesus is hungry, of course, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, trying to fill himself with the supernatural and, and, and denying himself the natural. And Satan's like, hey, I know you're hungry. Why don't you just say to these stones, become bread. Let me eat you. And Jesus is like, listen, man doesn't live on bread alone. Man lives by what? By every word that comes from the voice of God. And you remember the last thing he heard. How often did he, did he replay that message from his father over those 40 days? I think hourly. Some of us are living the lives we're living because we've forgotten what our father has said about us. And we're giving other voices precedent in our lives. We're giving other voices primary uh, speech in our lives. And what we need to do is remember, and I think all those 40 days, he's going, wait a minute. My father says he's pleased. My father says um, I'm his beloved son. And so he, withdraw, he withstands the temptation of Satan. That's the first one, the hunger. The second one is that Satan tries to get him to test God. And this is one of his strategies with us. He wants us to test God. He wants you to say this morning, God, if you give me the job, I'll believe you for a while. He wants you to say, God, if you make her come back to me in this relationship, I will actually go to church and up my faith a little bit. He wants you to say that, God, if you come through in this way, I'll make a deal with you. He wants us to test God. And then the last one, he shows them all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he says, you can have them all if you'll worship me. You see, I don't know about you, but when I think about Satan worshiping, there's a different image than this that comes to my mind. Like, it's like this happens in a sketchy part of town, right? (laughs) Like there's sacrifice involved and there's certain kind of music playing. But no, Jesus is saying and Satan's saying, hey, if you'll give up worshiping the Lord, you can have all this. I think it maybe have something to do with what Jesus said back in the day when he said, hey, what good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? And remember, we're living for one strategy or the other one. Now, something that should shock us is in verse 6. It's not surprising in this dialogue between Jesus and Satan that Jesus is, is uh, sharing scripture, right? Everybody's like, of course, it's Jesus. But what's shocking to me is in verse 6, Jesus isn't the one sharing the scriptures he knows. Look at verse 6. Satan says to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Here's a sobering reality. Satan knows the scriptures better than most of us know them. Maybe better than all of us. Isn't that shocking at all? Like, he's got the playbook, but he distorts it. Which makes it even worse, which means he could make us think we're living out what's real and best and true. And in reality, we're doing the exact opposite. This is shocking to me a bit. What is Satan doing quoting scripture? Yet he distorts it. And that's what he's always doing. And so here's the thing. If you don't know the voice of God, if you don't know the word of God, if it's not regularly getting into your heart and mind, It's going to sound strong. I know some of us are different places when it comes to faith, but we we really don't stand a chance. We we really don't stand a chance. This is his strategy. So if he can take it away and keep us from being rooted, we'll, we'll never fulfill the mission of God. Can you imagine if Jesus had given in? He would have never fulfilled his mission. You and I, 
If we give in, we'll never fulfill the mission God has for us. We'll never be rooted in Christ and in the scriptures. And this is what we're being called to. Here's a little bit of strategy before we leave our time today. We've got to get rooted in Christ and in his word. We've got to have it influence us. James 4, 7, James gave some advice about living for God's ways or Satan's ways. He says this, he says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Here's a strategy if we're going to get rooted in Christ and not let Satan snatch his word out of us. We've got to hear it like you're doing now, but we've got to read it on a regular basis. We've got to meditate on it. We need to memorize it. And then lastly, we must submit to it. Our vision at Epic is that we would see an increasing number of people here in San Francisco orient their entire lives around Jesus. That's what submission looks like. That's what submission looks like. And if we don't hear the voice of God in our lives, we're not going to live out the message of God and we aren't going to fulfill the mission of God in our lives. And it doesn't matter what your industry says about how awesome you are and it doesn't even matter how big our church grows and and I get some notoriety. All that's for naught if we don't get rooted in Christ and his word. We won't bear fruit. It might look like fruit. It won't be real fruit. You ever been at someone's house and they had the fruit thing on the table and you thought it was real and you took a bite? Anybody? <laughs> like, no, buddy, that's plastic. That's what it'll be like. It'll look awesome on the surface, but there'll be no depth to it because you never got rooted. This is such a big deal. And I hope this morning the light bulb or the aha moment has happened for some of us. Some of us right now in our lives are being deceived. And I hope you, the light has just shined, shown a little bit into your heart and mind today. We're being deceived. And the worst thing is we're being deceived and we don't even know it. The worst thing is we think we're living in a life that is pleasing to God. And it is actually the opposite of being a life pleasing to God. But let me give you some hope. I told you Adam and Eve, they went off the path. They had this harmonious relationship with God, wholeness, never had experienced sin or shame or anything. In fact, Genesis 2, 25 says that they were naked and felt no shame. Some of you are like, Ben, I'm ready for that message. That's not today. <laughs> or tomorrow or next week. Or... They were naked and felt no shame. But when they quit trusting God's voice and veered off the path and ate from the tree he told them not to eat from and they realized their sin, all of a sudden they felt immense shame, so much so that they went and hid from God. And though we might want to hide from God in our shame sometimes, thankfully God is able to find us however far away we are and whatever is, is, is keeping the barrier between him and us. God goes and pursues them and he covers them in their shame and in their nakedness. He covers them by making animal skins for them to clothe themselves with. But here's better news for you. God isn't wanting to pursue you and cover you with an animal skin. He's wanting to pursue you and cover you with the skin of his sinless, perfect son who went to the cross for you so that you don't have to stay in your shame, so that you don't have to stay off the path, so you don't have to live in rebellion, so that you don't have to give in to an identity that isn't your true identity. But you've got a role in this. Scriptures are really clear for everyone who repents of their sin and turns to God and puts their faith in Christ. New life comes. Coverage happens. Some of you have never opened your hearts to Christ and you're confused about why. It just doesn't stick, Ben. I just, I want to, but it just, there's something missing there. It's because for many of us in this room, Satan's come and he snatched it away from our hearts. You're like, Ben, that sounds really radical. Listen, this is just true from the scriptures. This is what Jesus said. You're like, oh, Ben, I'm good, but Jesus, just the Satan thing. I don't know. Well, Jesus is the one who taught us. So sometimes 
when we know God has a plan and we're not living it out for our lives, we kind of give ourselves a pep talk and beat ourselves up like, oh, I need to get it together as if, um, as if we're the only enemy to what God wants to do in our lives. There's another enemy at play here. We can pretend he's not, but that won't change his activity in our lives. It won't change his aim. But if God's word is going to get rooted in us, then we need to submit to God. We need to know that word. We need to trust it and believe in the goodness of God. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. No matter how far we've gone, no matter how ugly it looks, no matter how much we wish it wasn't true and we wish the guilt wasn't so heavy in our hearts this morning, this is exactly what Jesus went to the cross to cover. Will you receive that? Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that the aim of your word is that it would get rooted in us, that it would bear fruit. God, it's exciting to imagine what it would look like for a large percentage of us here at Epic in this season of ministry and life if we would hear your voice, trust your goodness, walk your path, fulfill your mission. God, it could be an amazing season, but God, we know that at the same time that you have a strategy, Satan has a strategy. He would love to cause me to sin in such a way that would destroy this church. He would love for our leaders to walk off the path and destroy the lives of others. He would love to end marriages. He would love to cause separation between parents and children. He would love for our lives to be made about the kingdoms of this world, even if we have to stop walking your path. And I pray, God, that you would renew us in this moment, that your word would get into our hearts, and that some men and women in this room would say yes to Christ for the first time ever. Jesus, thank you for the warning of this parable. But thank you that if the seed gets in us, fruit is automatic. God, I pray that the world would receive through us the fruit that you want to bear in our lives. God, I pray you would bring hope to the hopeless. I pray you would bring mercy to the guilty in this room. I pray you would bring correction to those of us who've spurned your way and not even really known it. God, I pray you'd help us to be a part of the movement of Jesus in this generation, in this city that we love so much for the sake of your kingdom. To the degree to which we understand and live out what we've heard today will determine a lot of that, God. So come in power, bring your clarity to our hearts and minds, protect us from our enemy, and root us deeply in Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Let's uh, stand and just sing the song that really is about this whole idea of getting deep into who Jesus is.